right, good morning. Welcome to Upgrade Your Faith. I'm Luke Gradeless, and this is our second week in a row of doing a uh, sermon. Uh, I know it's kind of an interesting time for a lot of people. Um, can't go to church in a lot of places. And while there are tons of wonderful sermons that you can listen to online, um, I know it's hard when your local congregation can't do that. And sometimes you just want to listen to somebody maybe you know. And so if you're here for that, we're so glad. I do encourage you, if your church is doing online streams, if your church is um, doing their own worship uh, that they want you to go through, participate in that. It's so important for us to stay as united as possible uh, during this time when we have so many different things uh, that are kind of separating us and, and keeping us pushed apart. And so I encourage you to keep up those bonds. Right? Uh, we don't go to church. We are the church. And so the mission hasn't changed for us at all, even though the circumstances around us have changed. Um, so today, I, I wanted to talk just a little bit about everything that's happening and how do we look at some of this from a biblical perspective. Um, it's funny because we've been kind of self-contained for a while now. So uh, I think we're, we're on day 15. And uh, during this time, we've, we've picked up a new family hobby. And so one of our new family hobbies that we've done is we, um, we get on scooters. So I, I don't know if you're aware of these, but the kids have these Razor scooters, um, the, the little flat you know, base with two wheels and a handle, and you scoot down it. And the boys have had them for a while. And um, I don't know, I saw them doing it. I was like, that's kind of fun. Um, you know, and I got nothing better to do. So I went and got a scooter. Nicole went and got a scooter. And uh, we, we've been sco scooting as a family. And it's funny because on these scooters, one of the things that you really have to focus on is you have to focus on balance, right? It's not just going fast. Um, it's not just having a good grip. It's you have this little tiny platform that you got to put your feet on. You got to balance your weight, especially as you're turning and moving. And if you don't do it just right, you'll fall to one way or the other. And it's funny because I've never done this before. I, I did rollerblading back in the 90s when that was popular and everybody was doing that. Um, I never skateboarded. Of course, I knew how to ride a bike. But like, this is not something that uh, comes naturally to me. And also, my center of gravity has changed quite a bit since the last time I did something like this. And so as, as we have been scooting, um, it, it kind of reminded me of in life, that is often the key. And life often balance. Balance is one of those most important things that you need to have. And I really think as we look at the current situation we're in, balance is, again, one of the things that we need to have as a people that can help us navigate through these moments. Um, what's happening is scary. What's happening is, is hard to see. Um, now, where I'm at in San Antonio, it hasn't hit as hard as in some places, but that doesn't mean that in some places what we're seeing isn't unreal, that there's not death uh, that is occurring in volumes that are unreal, that there isn't people who are suffering and struggling. And at the same time, we can't let so much focus on that create a fear that stops us from being a hopeful people, that stops us from being a powerful people, that stops us from being the people that God wants us to be and needs us to be. And so I think this is one of those times where we, especially as Christians, have to find that spiritual balance of both having hope in what our God can do and also having the ability to grieve because we see what is happening. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and open up to John chapter 11. Uh, in John chapter 11, there's a story that I think beautifully shows this balance that we need to have in our lives when it comes to 
<clears throat> excuse me, when it comes to both having a hope in God, but also allowing ourselves to to grieve and have some sadness around what's occurring. So in John chapter eleven it says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, and the village of Mary and sister and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And so the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were now just seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This he said, after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of that sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go, also go, so that we may die with him. And so what you see happening here is you see Jesus is looking at everything that's occurring. And he doesn't look at how things occur just on the worldly perspective. He looks at them from a spiritual perspective. And so I think that's an important point for you and I in the midst of all of this is to keep both those perspectives. Um, anytime there's a pandemic, anytime there is disease spreading, anytime there is death, anytime there is one of these crises, we have to acknowledge that there is a pain, there is a sadness, there is a hurt, and there are the practical ramifications of what that means to this world. And so you, you can't not be aware of that. At the same time, you do have to step back and also see the spiritual aspects of this. And there's many spiritual aspects to something like this. I mean, one, there is a constant reminder to us, or, or not constant, but this is a specific reminder to us, that death is present in this world. From the moment man sinned all the way back in the Garden of Eden, God warned us that what we had done is we had opened the door to let sin in. And what sin is, is not just separation from God, but it is death. God is life. And when we are separated from God, when, when we are broke apart from him, then what we are going to feel is we are going to feel death. And it's, it's sad because there are many days when the world is doing what we're used to where we can walk right through it and miss all the death around us because it's not directly impacting us. And because of that, we, we fall into this lull, we fall into this comfort of thinking everything's under control, everything's good, we've got everything by the, by the horns and we're, we're good to go. But it's not really the truth. Moments like this wake us up to realize we've never had control and that death is always a threat and that death isn't random, that death has come because we let sin into this world and it has created this world of sin that we're we see and we feel. So verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. That's Lazarus. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And when many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. 
But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on that last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into this world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, See how he loved them. I'm going to stop right there. Um, a lot of people know that passage uh, specifically because of the, the trivia around Jesus wept being the shortest verse in the Bible. But I think it's important for you and I to pause and think about that passage and ask ourselves, why? Why did Jesus weep? Why did Jesus cry? Right. See, if you know the story, how it finishes is that Jesus goes to the tomb and he resurrects Lazarus. He brings him back to life. And so when you look at this whole thing, there's a lot of questions as to why everything happens. One, why doesn't Jesus come and, and heal Lazarus? Why doesn't Jesus take care of it from the beginning? Because in fact, we know that Jesus doesn't even need to physically be there to heal Lazarus. If you remember in Matthew chapter 8, there's this story of the centurion that comes to Jesus uh, asking for help. And Jesus doesn't even go to the guy's house just simply by speaking him. In fact, in Matthew 8, 13, it says, And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. So, so we know that Jesus had the power, even being far away from Lazarus, to heal him. So, so why? Why did Jesus allow him to die? Jesus allowed him to die because Jesus' perspective on things is not just here on the earth, it's spiritual. See, Christians have to realize this. We, we play a game that is not just about what happens today. This is the biggest struggle that you, you, or one of the biggest struggles that you see between Christianity and the world. The world is very much about right now. It's about instant gratification. It's about what you can accomplish here. It's about what you can do in this place, in this moment, at this time. And any time that we are asked to push things off, any time we are asked to wait or to be patient, the world struggles with that. And what God balances is both the needs of the now, but also with the needs of the kingdom. And the reason that's so important is, is the kingdom lasts forever. It lasts for absolutely ever. And so if we only focused on the temporary, if we only focused on what's happening in the world right now and what makes us happy in this moment, 
what we would find is not only would that have long-term negative implications for us in the world, but if that led to us being separated from God for eternity, what a nightmare, what a disaster. We have to both understand the implications today and also the spiritual perspective in the future. And so here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the death of Lazarus and his resurrection was going to be for the glory of God, that it would magnify God's name, that it would reveal who he was to people, it would help people restore the relationships with God, and in that moment would allow them into an eternal life, just as Jesus had spoken, right? He said, I am the resurrection, I am the life. And so he knew that that was necessary. Now, here's what I think is important. I think what's important is, is us understanding that just because God chose that path, that Jesus allowed for Lazarus to die and allowed all the sadness around it, doesn't mean that he didn't care. Right? I think sometimes when we see these kind of things, this is where we as Christians get the question that everybody always asks, because if God is so great, if God is so wonderful, if God is so powerful, then why does he allow this? Why doesn't he just stop this? And when we tell them, well, there, there's more to this than the world, right? Death and destruction are here because of us. And also, through this death and destruction, there's a chance for salvation. I think people, even if they can understand that, part of them is concerned, then what, what does that say about the character of God? How can a God who loves all these people watch something like this occur and, and not be brokenhearted by it? And in that, there is a huge assumption we made, which is that God isn't brokenhearted by it. In fact, what Scripture tells us is that's not true at all. In Lamentations 3.33, it says, For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of man. It tells us that, yes, God does these things that are big in scope. God does these things that are hard. God allows for things to occur that break our hearts, but they break his too. I mean, brothers and sisters, we can never forget that God is the one who weaved us together in our mother's womb. He, he's, in a way, infatuated with us. He knows every hair on our head. He knows every thought we think. He knows our actions and our deeds, our desires, our hopes. He knows every single day of our life that is in the book. So when this death occurs, God feels it. And I would argue he feels it more than any of us more than any of us could ever imagine. And I think that's what you see. I think that's what you see in that moment where Jesus cries. Jesus doesn't cry because he knows that Lazarus is lost. Jesus doesn't cry because the kingdom isn't going to be successful. Jesus cries because he is a man and he sees his friends hurt. He sees them anguishing and in pain. Jesus cries because as the creator, he looks at his creation broken by sin, broken by death, and it breaks his heart. And I think that's important for us to remember, one, about the character of God. I think it's important for us to remember that in the midst of all these things, in the midst of all this death, that God's not just sitting up there going, well... It'll work itself out. No, God cries too. God weeps too. 
God doesn't sit and watch all these things occurring and not have a broken heart. He longs for us to not feel this. And if anybody ever questions why he doesn't stop it now, what we have to acknowledge is, is that every single day that God allows us to be here on this earth and he allows you and I, the church, to go about our mission of preaching the word, of making disciples, of teaching and baptizing, he's allowing another opportunity for another person to experience the eternal life that can only be found in him. See, brothers and sisters, one day Jesus will wipe this out. One day Jesus will come and he will wipe all sin. He will wipe all death. He will get rid of it all. But when he does that, it's over. It's done. At that moment, you're either in the family or you're not in the family. And so all this time that we have, all this time in this intermediate period where we know that he will come one day to do that, but he's not yet here, is really an act of mercy and grace that allows you and I the opportunity as his, as his body, as the body of Christ, to go out into this world full of darkness, full of hurt, and full of pain, and be the light, to be the love. And so we have to remember that. We have to remember that while all this occurs, we have a God who up in heaven sees it too and weeps more than you and I. Because he loves us. Because he cares. And I think that's part of the balance that you and I need to have in our own lives during this moment. I've seen people throughout this, this time be completely torn up with stress, with fear, with sadness, with all the negative. And it's weighing on their hearts, it's weighing on their health. It's slowly crushing them. And we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be a people who look at every death and disease and dark moment and go, Oh no, oh no, what are we going to do? How are we going to survive? How are we going to make it through? Because one, as Christians, if we're educated, we knew this was going to happen. Not, not this. But we've read the book, or hopefully you've read the book, Things don't get better before he comes. They get worse. And also, what we're seeing today isn't even the worst. Mankind, the church, has been through far worse things in its history and has stood strong and has preached the gospel and has kept faith. And so we don't want to be pulled only into fear, only into stress, only into worry. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we don't want to feel. We don't want to feel the pain. We don't want to feel the hurt. We don't want to be sad. See, there's a beautiful balance that we need to have in moments like this of one, yes, grieving. Grieving for the individuals, grieving for the nation, grieving for the world, grieving for the spiritual reality that this is what sin does, that sin brings death, that it brings destruction. We need to have that element to us because if we don't, then something's broken, something's callous, something's wrong. At the same time, we also have to have hope. We have to have the hope that says, this is not the end. That this is not bigger than God. This is not more powerful than God. And God, when he wants to, and when he decides to, will wipe this out. And not only is it just hope for what's at the end, it's also hope throughout the process that there is good things that can come through these kind of crises. 
I mean, brothers and sisters, it's amazing to me how many of us have had our eyes opened over the last couple of weeks. One, to our lifestyles and how often we fill our lives with distractions that are not essential and not important. Right? It's crazy to just drive around and see shopping centers empty, the roads empty. In realizing how much of our times were spent on sports and shopping and materialism and, and all these other activities, they in and of themselves are not terrible, but they're distractions. They're distractions. Right? We would often say we didn't have time for God. We didn't have time for Bible. We didn't have time to serve. We didn't have time to get to church. But the reality is, is the moment these things disappear, what do we see? We see, oh, I was spending a ton of time on things that weren't essential. The second thing that's been clear to us throughout this is just the reality of what the world is. We are never in control. We sometimes have the illusion that we're in control, but we are never in control. And so not only do we hope for what God can do when this is all said and done, but we have hope that throughout this process, that yes, while there's pain and hurt, that God is doing his work and God is accomplishing good and powerful things. I think for us, we've got to find that balance. That balance of being able to grieve and to understand the magnitude of this. To, to realize that God does have a hand in what's happening. And that we shouldn't just be praying for the storm to end. Don't get me wrong, we should be praying for it to end. But we should also be praying for what do we learn in the midst of the storm? What do we learn in the midst of all that is occurring right now? Because this is some kind of wake-up call. This is some kind of just pulling us away from distractions. This is some kind of shaking us to get us to pay attention. So don't just pray for that to be over. Pray that you understand and learn what God can teach in this moment. I think when I read the story about Jesus weeping, it just always reminds us how blessed we are to have a God, to have a Father, that yes is all powerful, but also is all loving. In Hebrews 4.15 it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows exactly what it's like to go through what we're going through. And so there might be moments during this that we should weep. There might be moments like this where we should just fall on our knees agonizing and sadness and grief. But what we have to realize is we can do that also with hope. You can have both those things exist, both grief and sadness for what is occurring and also hope and faith in what God can and will do. And those don't have to go against each other. We've got to find that balance. I'll leave you with one last verse. Um, it, it's one of my favorite moments in scripture for showing what faith in God looks like. Right? God is not just simply a genie in the bottle. He's not just simply here to make all of our wishes come true. He, he has his will. He has his things he's accomplishing. And we have to understand that he is the master. We are the servants. So we trust the path he's on. We trust what he's accomplishing. We trust what he's doing, even if we don't understand it. But even in those moments where things seem confusing, we have faith. And one of the best examples of this to me is in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to be 
killed. Because they have broken Nebuchadnezzar's law that they can't pray to anybody but him. They've prayed to God and that, that is a crime. And so right before they're to be killed, this exchange happens and it's in Daniel chapter 3 verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Man, I love that response. Here is men of faith who go, we know who our God is. We know that we serve him and we know that if he wants to, if he needs to, if saving us in this moment, if ending this trial was to his glory and for the benefit of the kingdom, he can and he will. But even if he doesn't, then we won't lose faith. Because we will believe even if he doesn't, that that means that this suffering this sacrifice, this pain, is for the glory of God and it's to serve the kingdom. And brothers and sisters, that's the kind of faith we have to have right now. A faith that acknowledges the severity, the sadness, and the grief of what is happening in this world around us, that prays for that, that absorbs that, that feels that, that has compassion in that moment, but at the same time has a complete and unshakable faith that God is sitting on his throne, God is the King of Kings, and that God can and will defeat this in his time. And we faithfully pray, not just for the end, but for what, for what we can learn in the midst of this. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the fact that the church is not a building. It is a people. And though we may be separated by distance, Lord, may we may not be able to gather in fellowship and congregation like we did before. We know, Lord, that nothing breaks the bonds of the church. That because the church is united by the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood, Lord, that he sacrificed and spilt to wipe us of our sins and to eventually, Lord, come and cleanse this world of all the pain and death that we are so aware of right now. Because it is that blood that brings us together, Lord, nothing can separate us. I pray in the midst of this time, Lord, that while many distractions are gone, that we will spend our time and our effort on you, in your word, in prayer, in meditation, and that each day we will come closer and closer to you. We pray, Father, for all those suffering right now, all those sick, all those who have family members who are sick. And we pray, Lord, that you will heal them. We pray, Lord, that you will bring health back to them. We pray that you will bring an end to this sickness. But we also pray, Lord, that throughout all of this, that you will be glorified and that this will help grow your kingdom. For, Lord, this will pass. But our eternity with you will never pass. And so we pray, Lord, that your church uses moments, even like this, to be light in the midst of darkness and to bring people to you. We love you, Father, and in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Everybody stay safe, stay smart, be healthy. If there's any way that we can pray for you or help, please let us know. And God bless you greatly, and we'll see you soon.